Welcome in to the latest episode of Recruiting Down South, the Saturday Down South podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. Now let's get into today's show. Obviously, with the early signing period over and done with, we're in the NCAA mandated dead period for recruiting. Uh, there's not a ton going on right now, but there was something that happened of note Wednesday that I wanted to talk about. Tennessee got a commitment from four-star junior college offensive lineman Jameer Johnson. And why that's so interesting to me was essentially he signed with Tennessee during the early signing period, but he asked the school to keep it quiet, and he kept it quiet so that he could announce it with his family the following week, so essentially a week later from the early signing period. Now, I understand these guys, you know, they want to have their moment. They want to uh, announce it when they're ready to announce it. And I, they have the right to do that, you know. I wouldn't want to take that away from them. But if any other schools contacted him after he signed his papers with Tennessee, they were committing an NCAA recruiting violation. Uh, so I think that's one of the, you know, the first issues we've seen with this early signing period. Perhaps when, when a player is like that signs, I mean, it, I, think, I just think it needs to be known. If the schools want to contact the other schools, leave it up to them to keep it silent or not. I, I, that's per, their prerogative. I, I, but I just, don't, I just don't understand how you could potentially be getting another school in trouble um, by not announcing it. I, I don't think that's right because, uh, I mean, there's from what all we've seen from the, the Egg Bowl rivalry, uh, Alabama-Auburn, I mean, I, I could even imagine a scenario where schools set it up to, to the others, coaching staffs or potential coaches recruit violations. And so, that, I mean, it's just something that needs to be looked at and uh, something I wanted to talk to. Uh, Barton Simmons, he's going to be our guest this, this week. He's, the, of course, the national writer for CBS Sports, director of scouting for 247 Sports. That's one of the topics I wanted to discuss with Barton and just kind of get his thoughts on the overall signing period. And, it, I, you know, I didn't want to bombard him with questions about the signing classes just because I'm sure he's been talking about that for a week with, with just about everybody and anybody. So uh, just kind of more of a look ahead to the traditional signing period and, and where these schools need to go to, to fill out the remaining of their signing class for 2018. Uh, so let's just jump into our, our latest guest, Barton Simmons. All right, our latest guest on the Recruiting Down South podcast is Barton Simmons. Of course, he's the national writer for CBS Sports and the director of scouting for 247 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter, at Barton Simmons. Uh, and Barton, I just want to say thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, yeah. I appreciate you having me on. Okay, uh, you know, I'm sure you're exhausted talking about these signing classes over and over. I'm sure you've been doing it for a week. So I don't really want to rehash all that information. Uh, I think most of these people tuning in already are well aware of it anyway. But I wanted to start by just asking, what are your overall thoughts on the early signing period now that we've actually experienced one? Sure. I mean, I think that, um, you know, in a lot of ways, this is the new signing period. You know, you can take the early off. This is just this is the signing period. And the numbers sort of bore that out. We, you know, I, I was sort of estimating that about 80% of committed kids would sign. And, um, you know, I think by the end of, of last Friday, we, we even topped 80%. And so, and I think that's less a product of kids eager to sign early, more product of, well, hey, this, if you're committed, you don't really have much of a choice. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, that's good for some clarity in January. It's good for some, um, 
you know, a little bit of an easier, um, easier board to shake out for, for, for college coaching staff, um, kind of know what your targets are, know what you have to do in January. But I don't know that it's necessarily the best thing for the prospects, for the student athletes. Um, I'm, I'm of the belief that, Hey, if, if you're, you know, if you're a mid-major guy and, and you've got an outside shot of getting that major college dream offer, um, then, you know, it's, it's best for the kid if he can really sort of wait and, and sign in February and, and see if that offer comes. And if it does, then I don't think that mid-major school is really going to, going to begrudge you if you, if you go ahead and, and, and accept that better opportunity. So, um, we don't really get to see that as much. Um, this cycle. And so, and, and I don't think we will moving forward. So I think that that's not necessarily a great thing for the, for the, for the players. Uh, I also think it's going to further accelerate the process because now in January, instead of babysitting commits and, and trying to dig up new ones, most college coaches staff are going to be evaluating and recruiting for the 2019 and 2020 classes. And, and now those guys, you know, those 2019 kids are going to be pressed to be, to get on campus for official visits in the spring. Uh, they'll be pressed for commitments earlier. They'll be pressed to sign in December. And, uh, you know, the process sort of um, accelerates once again. And so while I don't necessarily care if the process accelerates, and I think the early signing period is, is probably a net positive for the business, for my, for my job, um, I, I'm still sort of of the opinion that when it comes to just what's best for the student athlete, I, I still kind of like uh, – like the the one signing period in in February, and you know what? If you want to have one in August or something, and and give some guys an out if their head coach leaves, then I'm I you know that's fine with me too. But uh, but I think there there are some flaws to this early signing period. Yeah. Now you referenced that eighty percent number. Uh, I was listening to I believe it was your most recent CBS Sports podcast. You referenced that number, 80% of committed prospects signed, approximately 60% of uncommitted guys committed and signed. Uh, do you expect mm-hmm. that to be a number that uh, we see again, or, or do you think that will go up or go down or into the uh, 2019 early signing period? I think it will be generally sort of what the standard is. I, I, I doubt it goes up. I think, if anything, it could dip a little bit mm-hmm. because I think what you may see happen here this cycle is you're about to see here in January some, um, you know, kind of middle of the roads, uh, you know, mid three-star type of guys and uh, become just absolutely coveted, highly recruited, highly prioritized kids who, who wouldn't otherwise be that way. And I think you'll, you may see some kids in like this 2019 class say, well, man, look, look at, Look at my my buddy here from across town. He, he I'm better than him, and and that guy is, is getting recruited by everybody in the college football right now. And um, I know I may sit here and commit to East East State U, but if if I just maybe hold off and resist signing, I may I may have some new opportunities too. So I, I do think you may see some kids learn that they've got maybe a little bit more leverage than they think, and and maybe that number drops a little bit next year, but. I would suspect that we're going to be pretty close to um, to that number moving forward. Just again, because I think what it's going to boil down to is, you know, kids aren't going to start committing any later in general. Um, I think it's just about about you know the the ability to resist signing if you are committed. And, and I still think the general rule of thumb is going to be if you're committed, 
you're going to be expected to sign. And if you're expected to sign, you, you probably will. All right. Well, we had a essentially a commitment yesterday by Tennessee. It was kind of an odd case. Uh, Juco defense, offensive lineman Jameer Johnson. And apparently he had signed during the early signing period, but he had asked the school to, 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 to delay that announcement. He didn't make it publicly known, but he, he did make it known essentially a week after the early signing period had started. And I, I don't know if you saw this tweet from Bruce Feldman, but he had alluded to that you know, there were several prospects that are essentially have done the same thing or they're going to delay till February to actually announce, but they've already signed. Um, and if schools approach those guys, I mean, you're talking potential NCAA violation. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, is, is that is that an issue with this early signing period? And, and I mean, it, I don't, I, it's hard for me to imagine how, how if someone signs, you know, how you can get another school in trouble. It, it almost seems like that needs to be pu- made public. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. I think that's going to be one of a few things that this, I mean, again, this is the first time we've ever had this. This is the first, this is the maiden voyage. And uh, there are going to be a few things that, that get ironed out. You know, we saw that when they um, initiated the rule that allowed prospects to uh, sign financial aid agreements um, in in the fall. Um, and and basically lock in their spot at a program. Um, there was a rule that, that, but that's not an LOI, obviously. Um, you know, the, the rule allowed those guys to then sign as basically as many as they wanted, which would give them sort of free access to communicate with, with whatever staff they wanted to, you know, uh, above the rules. And then because of that LO, because of that financial aid agreement, um, there was no restrictions on, on interaction, communication, recruitment, et cetera. Um, well, that, that sort of became a um, Pandora's box. And so they had to tweak that rule uh, to where, you know, just I think it was the first school you sign with is, is sort of becomes the, um, the school that is, is sort of the, in the lead position there. And anyone else that, uh, you know, you communicate with regularly could be, could be grounds for, um, or I guess, I guess what it was was if you, you know, whoever you ultimately end up signing with, everyone else who communicated with you, freely uh, is would have grounds for a uh, an NCAA violation and so um, that was just an uh, you know the an example of just sort of that rule getting tweaked within one year I could see some maybe tweaks to this early signing period um, and and that could be one of them um, where school you know is required to make it public it, uh, but uh, you know I think again we're all just sort of figuring this thing out and and I would even expect that maybe I mean, I, I could see this signing period move. Um, I could see it. I could see it uh, sort of adjust and evolve to to a different window that doesn't sit right in the middle of bowl season or doesn't sit right in the middle of the coaches' silly season and carousel season. So, yeah, I mean, that was that's a, certainly an interesting instance, something to keep an eye on, and and uh, and we'll kind of just have to see what happens the rest of the way with these other guys that potentially signed and and kept it quiet. Another thing I wanted to ask you, you know, obviously as someone who follows this stuff, you're in the camp circuit, you see these guys in person, uh, and obviously you've seen them, the guys in the previous years like Jake Fromm and Jacob Eason. I'm curious, based on what you've seen from Justin Fields, uh, how realistic is it that he sees the field next year as a true freshman for Georgia? 
Boy, that's a that's that's kind of a million dollar question, and and I, I it's sort of what's so intriguing about his decision to sign with Georgia is I, I think he's probably a day one starter if he goes to Florida. I think he's there's a pretty good chance he's a day one starter if he goes to Texas A&M, and I think if he goes to Florida State under Willie Taggart, even with DeAndre Francois coming back, um, I think that there's a there's a lot of scenarios that could see him really pushing for that job, given what Willie Taggart prefers system-wise in his offense. And so he shunned all those and, and went ahead and committed to the University of Georgia. And, and the presumption there is that, and then this is sort of what I've heard, is that he, you know, his, his belief is that he's a different type of kid and he is a, he's a unique player. And he's, he's, he's something that, you know, Jake Fromm can win you maybe an SEC championship and maybe an SEC East championship. But can Jake Fromm win you a national title? Can Jake Fromm beat Alabama consistently? And, and I think the, the thought process for Justin Fields is I can. That's something that I can do. And, um, you know, I, I think wh- what's that going to mean if, if Georgia goes and, and wins a national title under Jake Fromm? Um, it's hard to envision Justin Fields winning that job. Um, and, and frankly, it's pretty much, I mean, I don't know there's any way that could possibly happen. Uh, but I do think what's unique about Justin Fields is, you know, J- you know, Jake Fromm is a different player. He's a, he's a passer. He's a, he's a pocket guy and he's got some great moxie to his game. He's got a great feel, phenomenal leadership ability, great touch, um, as a passer, but when you get in those short yardage situations, when you get in those goal line situations, when you get in the red zone, um, there are certainly, uh, you know, a number of opportunities and, and, and scenarios that you could see Justin Fields sort of coming in in, in package type situations. And so, you know, my, I would suspect that he'll he'll see the field. I would suspect that that he went to Georgia because Kirby Smart assured him that hey, if you're ready, we're going to find a way to get you involved. And um, and so. I think that that's um, – and, and I think that there's, Georgia has a lot to gain by, by giving them those opportunities because they have recruited the probably the best three-year stretch of quarterbacks that I've ever seen in Jacob uh, Eason, Jake Fromm, and, and Justin Fields. And if they can prove to, to future quarterbacks and, and five-star guys that, look, it doesn't matter who's in front of you, we, we can find a way to make you a part of this our success. Then, then that's a that's a heck of a, a pitch to the next guy. So, um, so yeah, I think it's going to be a really unique situation, but uh, I, I, I suspect that we'll find a way to see Justin Fields in some meaningful situations next year. So it sounds like we have Barton Simmons on the record saying, as soon as Georgia loses, uh, the locker room split in in Athens. <laughs> yeah, no. no, I'm just, yeah. I'm just, kidding. you know what? I'm just kidding. Like, that, that, the beauty of this thing is, I know you're kidding, but I, I mean, the beauty of this thing is, is that like. Uh, Jake Fromm is, is such a unique leader that it's. I think he's the right quarterback to to sort of um, be the guy in front of a guy like Justin Fields because uh, if if it's time for Justin Fields to get some reps, then, then I think Jake Fromm would 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 handle that really well. And I'm not saying I I, I don't expect Justin Fields to to beat Jake Fromm out. And, and I, I'm not t- even talking about that. I'm just talking about if he pushes him, if he, if Fromm has a bad, bad day and, and, you know, people get restless. If, if Fromm starts to come in and kind of be that, 
Tebow to, to Chris Leak and, and be a fan favorite, then, uh, you know, I don't think that that's the Jake Fromm, the type of guy is going to be looking over his shoulder. He has the confidence and maturity to handle it well. So in that sense, I think it's a really nice fit for Justin Fields to come in behind a guy like that. I'm, I'm, I'm really um, have been ever since high school and, and seeing him in the army bowl and that kind of thing. I've been really blown away with, with, with Jake Fromm just from a leadership standpoint. And, you know, and it kind of reminds me of the situation they've got down in Tuscaloosa. Obviously, Jalen Hurts, great player. But the backup Tua, I don't even try to say his name anymore because I trip it up every time. But, I mean, at almost every other SEC school, I think he would be the starter without question. Uh, so yeah. it's kind of a similar situation there. And that, I wanted to talk about Alabama. You know, they missed out on a couple quarterback prospects. Is any concern there, or uh, and do you think they will land a quarterback during this cycle? Yeah, I mean, the guy to keep an eye on in this cycle at the quarterback position is James Foster. That's one of those guys I'm talking about, and he's a, he's a, on our 24-7 sports composite rankings. He is a, a four-star guy. You know, we've got him as a three-star in our rankings, but he, he's a kid that, as a three-star type of kid in, in our eyes, and, and not to say he's not talented, but... He's about to have Florida State and Texas A&M and Alabama um, just pounding down his door. And, and that's, a, um, that's a guy that I think is going to become a priority for Alabama. Uh, and I, I think that they are seeing, even across the board in this class, I think they're starting to see a little bit of a, um, you know, a, a, an uphill battle, I guess, or a, a, a hindrance or a hamstrung situation with what they brought in in the past couple of years. I mean, their, their sophomore and freshman classes, even my Alabama standards are, are pretty phenomenal. And, and when you're talking about the quarterback position and you've got Jalen Hurts, he's got another year after this year, at least. Um, and Tua, Tungavailoa, who's as, as talented as anybody in the country sitting there on the bench, you just know as a quarterback, man, I got a ways to go before I play. And so I think that's hit, I think it's hurting them a little bit uh, at the quarterback position. And, you know, and, and, and frankly, it's that's something to keep an eye on if you're Kirby Smart. It's like, how does this play out for Alabama? How can I, how can I learn from what's going on over there? Because, you know, even Tua, I mean, golly, that kid is, is he's got to be restless. Um, and, and he is, I, I really think he's starting at about 98% of the teams in the country. And, and he may not really play meaningful snaps until – what he's a junior and, and maybe, I mean, I, there's, so, I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a, it's a tough situation to manage. And I do think it's hurting them a little bit on the recruiting trail. I, I do think that at some point, all that heavy lifting on the recruiting trail is going to catch up to them. And it has this class a little bit. I mean, they're still going to have a top five class come February, but I don't think they're going to have a number one class. Um, and so that's the standard you're living with, with your, when you're Alabama, um, so that that'll be that'll be fun to watch. It'll be interesting to see how they how they manage it. And um, you know, certainly at the quarterback position this cycle, they've uh, they've got some challenges ahead because if they miss, you know, they still have um, Mac Jones there in that quarterback room, and um, he's a capable guy. But it, you know, if they miss on James Foster, there's not much left in this class mm-hmm. except for maybe Tanner McKee, who's got a, a two year more mission coming after high school. So. Um, it's uh, it, it's a tricky spot to be in right now for sure. Now another school I wanted to talk to you about is LSU. 
Uh, they loaded up on linemen. Uh, you know, they got the five-star receiver Terrence Marshall there on Friday. It was a good late pickup for them. Uh, you did a really in-depth piece on Austin Thomas. I believe it was last summer. Um, that's, a, that's a really good read for anybody who's kind of unfamiliar with, with his role at LSU there. But uh, how does LSU go about replacing him? And uh, do you have any indication of what his future is after, you know, the fallout there at Tennessee? Yeah, so Austin Thomas, the general manager at LSU, who's been a, a pretty integral part of their recruiting operation and, and really their entire football operation over the last year or so under a Coach O. But, um, you know, he was, he was certainly a big part of it under Les Miles. He was, you know, he had a brief stop at, at USC and then was, a, was sort of Frank Wilson's right-hand man before that. Frank Wilson was the recruiting coordinator at, at LSU. So um, I, I, I think... I'm a little, I've got some concerns, honestly, about LSU from a recruiting standpoint, not because I think Austin Thomas is, is irreplaceable. I think he's a really important piece, and I think he's a really talented guy who's, who's, who's really, um, you know, found a, a, a niche and, and, and found a way to really uh, improve every program he's around. But um, Coach Ogeron is, he's a score-sturth kind of guy from a recruiting standpoint. Um, he's going to offer a bunch of guys early. He's going to try to get as many of them committed as possible. He's not quite as surgical as, as say Frank Wilson was, who was the, you know, the recruiting coordinator at Les Miles and the, and, and as Austin Thomas is. And I think those sort of voices in the room balance him out a little bit. And I, I just wonder a little bit if, if he's going to have the patience to play the long game on the recruiting trail with, without a, a really strong hire in that room with them, um, kind of, kind of being his, his, and look, his enthusiasm is awesome. And that's why he's so successful as a recruiter, but I think he needs a governor. I think he needs a, I, need, I think he needs someone to, to kind of pull the reins back a little bit here and there and, and make sure that, that they're, they're approaching things with the right long-term perspective. And, um, and, you know, I don't know who that person is going to be right now um, with uh because even, you know, on the coordinator front, you know, you got Tommy Robinson in there who's the recruiting coordinator now who's, who's been successful, uh, their running backs coach. And, and, you know, he'll remain, I would imagine, and, and, and continue to have a, a large role. But uh, from an organizational standpoint, um, you know, I just I think Frank Wilson and Austin Thomas are big missing pieces. So who is he going to hire there? Um, and, and, and what's the long-term trajectory at LSU? Because right now, you know, they've still got some, some big commits out there. Um, you know, Kelvin Joseph is a guy they're still working on. And, um, you know, they've got – oh, there's another top 100 guy. No, Patrick Sertain, the five-star cornerback from South Florida, um, is, is certainly in play for them as well. But, you know, when you just look at their class relative to what it's been over the last few years, I think it's just – I, I mean, it's a little bit of a, of a disappointing class when you're comparing it to Georgia and Alabama in the SEC. Uh, when you're comparing it to Clemson and, and Ohio State for teams that are competing for national titles. And so I, I think it's something to watch. It's something to keep an eye on. I don't think it's I, – I think it is – I don't think it's insignificant that LSU is 12th in the country right now in the recruiting rankings, and, and we're used to seeing them in the top five. Yeah, and of course Thomas has a long history with Tennessee. And in the 2019-2020 cycles, there's a lot of talent coming up in the Nashville, Memphis area. I believe LSU's already got a 2019 commit from the Memphis area. Uh, so that naturally leads me to the Volunteers. 
just wanted to get your thoughts on Jeremy Pruitt and his staff. Um, I personally have been very impressed with what they've been able to accomplish with essentially 12 days of recruiting time before they had to go back to their other jobs. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on Jeremy Pruitt and his staff? Yeah, very, very impressed with what they've done. I thought they were one of the big winners on signing day. Um, they, and, and, and certainly when you add Jameer Johnson, who I, I really, really like his film. And, and I, I don't know what his body looks like. We got him listed at 6'5", So I don't know what, what that means in terms of how ready he is to be a physical presence in the SEC. But from an athleticism standpoint, that kid's, that kid's good. And he's physical. And so um, I, I think that's a nice pickup for them. Now, in, in terms of Coach Pruitt, and, and I, you know, we – we expected, or I expected, that that they would hit the road, hit the ground running from a recruiting standpoint. And and I think he's going to be a really good recruiter. I think he's going to hire staff that really can navigate in the SEC and 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 really have success in those shark infested waters. Um, and and I think we've seen that. Like that's and it's hard. I mean, you you alluded to it. Twelve days or whatever it was. I mean, um, you know, there's there's not many staffs that have been able to make an impact among the new hires and Tennessee was one of the ones that was hired the latest and had some of the, the most discord throughout the process to deal with once on board. And meanwhile, Jeremy Pruitt is, is still coordinating a defense for a national title contender in Alabama and all those sort of factors. And so uh, for them to do what they've accomplished, not only in Jameer Johnson, but beating Alabama on Dominic Wood Anderson, who's a four-star tight end, who's another guy I just love on film, um, winning on a couple in-state battles with Jerome Carvin and Jeremy Banks, getting a quarterback, I'm not sure is a, a you know, a no-doubt answer, but certainly is, is, you know, gets them back heading in the right direction under center. Um, look, all those things are, are huge, and I think Jeremy Pruitt, from that standpoint, at least in this initial cycle, uh, and probably in the first two cycles, is, is going to be one of the the best head coaching hires from a recruiting standpoint. Um, after those first two cycles, obviously a lot of that's going to depend on what they've been able to accomplish on the field. But um, just in terms of, of what we know about him as a big game hunter, what we know about him as a guy that prioritizes recruiter, recruiting and works hard at it, uh, Jeremy Pru is going to be, uh, I think, a, a really well-liked um, on the recruiting trail for Tennessee fans. Yeah, and I believe, according to uh, 247 Sports, you guys have 19 four-star players from the state of Tennessee in the 2019 cycle. Now, I know those rankings are somewhat fluid at this point, but uh, I, it's going to be interesting to me to see you know, how many of those guys Jeremy Pruitt and his staff get, because obviously, I would say every SEC school is going to be recruiting those guys. Clemson, we've seen Ohio State kind of come in the Nashville era. They're starting to get some players out of there, so... Um, how how important will this will that be moving forward for Tennessee to to just to just have Jeremy Pruitt and his staff of uh, what appears to be some elite recruiters? Yeah, I, I do think that's going to be a um, I mean at least it should be a, a real cornerstone of their approach because Tennessee and and, and Middle Tennessee in particular has just really exploded in terms of. of college football talent and that's not going away um that this this i'm from middle tennessee area and and it's i mean it's just exploded with population growth and i I think that you're going to continue to see players in that area and and this is not the phil fulmer 
Vols where you have to have this national presence. And I think that they're, they're, the way they've hit the ground early on, they have tried to have a national presence. And they've been offering guys in California and all over the place, and that's fine. And, and Tennessee has the brand to do that. But ultimately, I think you've got to have that in-state foundation. And that's true anywhere, but I think it's getting to be increasingly important at Tennessee. And I think that Jeremy Pruitt recognizes that. And I think that they'll they'll have a recruiting approach that that prioritizes that significantly, and so um, that's going to be a real I think referendum for them on how successful they are in state. Um, the the state of Tennessee, the coaches in the state have have sort of had their they've seen the gamut. You know, they've seen Derek Dooley, who never showed up at any high schools, and no one the coaches even knew who he was seen Bush Jones who really hit the ground running hard in state, but he also had some beefs with, with some, you know, uh, influential people in the state, uh, you know, as far as some, some trainers and, and, and guys of that nature that, that really had some influence on some of these players. So, and, and he missed on some really good players in state. So I think there were some evaluation issues, some uh, relationship issues that, that hindered things with Bush Jones. And now you got Jeremy Pruitt, who's who's going to come in, and I think he's going to be a presence, and he's going to be, you know, you're going to see the the the, the T um, in high school hallways and 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 coaches' offices and that sort of thing. Uh, but you know, how well can he navigate what's going to be an increasingly more complicated state as far as who the influential people are in it and and around these players? And so, all those things are things that are going to be you know, important to watch. Um, but I, again, I, this is a guy I have confidence in on that front that he's going to figure out a way to get it done in state. Um, and now Florida, obviously they landed Emory Jones and four-star Trey Dean during the early signing period. What do they need to accomplish to round out this class in Dan Mullen's first year? Yeah, well, I think that, I mean, that was a huge, huge win getting Emory Jones. And I, I don't necessarily think Emory Jones, I'm not like a, a huge Emory Jones guy as far as thinking he's some five-star level kid, but he is what Dan Mullen looks for in a quarterback. He's athletic. He's, he's big and strong. He, he, you know, he can, he can start transitioning that quarterback room into uh, a more Dan Mullen esque room. So, you know, that was a, that was a really good get for him. I think maybe one of the most important of, of, of any, uh, any, any pickup in the early signing period. Um, so, you know, beyond that, now it's time to just get to work. And I think it's, 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 it's really about sort of starting in the state, winning some battles in state, getting some guys like Nicholas Petit Frere, who I think is the best offensive tackle in the country, getting a guy like William Barnes, who's, who's maybe the, sort of the, the lowest risk offensive lineman in the country. Um, you know, you get some guys like that, add them to, to what you've already built in this class, um, then, then all of a sudden, you know, that offense is starting to look, look like it's got some, got a chance. You know, you, you got some young offensive linemen that are really talented. You got a quarterback that fits your system. And, and so I think that to me is, is probably priority one. And, and then just continuing to, to find some weapons on offense, um, that, uh, you know, that can get this program back to where, you know, we're used to seeing it. So, uh, and, and that's another guy, I think you, you just have confidence Dan Mullen is going to going to get it done and and at least I, at least I do uh, you know I, I have confidence that he's gonna he may not have number one recruiting classes but he'll have top 10 recruiting classes and I think if you have top 10 recruiting classes at Florida um, then that's that's all you need and 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 
I think if you get in good quarterback play and you develop in that position well, I think the defense is sort of going to take care of itself. You know, you know, you, you always hesitate saying that about any sort of aspect in the SEC because it's so competitive. But they're going to have solid defenses under Dan Mullen. And, and because there's so much defensive talent in the state of Florida, um, they've just got to get that offensive line figured out, got to get the quarterback's position figured out. And, and I think that they'll do that in the long run under Coach Mullen. Okay, the last thing I wanted to ask you before, I, before you jump off here, uh, Joe Moorhead, Mississippi State, Matt Luke, Ole Miss, I thought they both did a really good job of, of holding on to commits and even gaining some at the, at the 11th hour, while on the other hand, Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, Chad Morris at Arkansas, you know, they had really disappointing classes, at least to this point. Um, is, is that just a product of the early signing period? And, and do you think those two can, can rebound? Or should, they, should fans of those schools just kind of be looking to 2019 to, to salvage the classes at Texas A&M and Arkansas? Yeah, I mean, so uh, Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher, he, he kind of took a gamble in that first, that first signing period, taking some big swings and some big names and, and really missed on all of them. And, and so I think that's a, he's got a, a pretty big uphill battle to climb. I think that Chad Morris, you know, that he stepped in. He was one of the later hires of anybody, it seemed. And, and, and so that was a tough one to, to, to grade as well. Um, I think he was the right hire because of what he's going to bring to East Texas uh, from a recruiting standpoint. Um, so, you know, I, again, this is, those guys just got they, – they inherited some tough situations. I do think Jimbo Fisher maybe – gambled a little too much maybe should have just gotten some gotten a bird in the hand rather than shooting for two in the bush uh but where they're at now i think that they, they still can do a lot of damage both of those teams and, and, and i think that when you're talking about winners for signing day i mean you, you mentioned first matt luke and, and joe moore i think matt luke at ole miss is is doing an awesome job um and, and I think he will continue to do so on the recruiting trail because he's a Mississippi guy. Mississippi's going to get back to recruiting Mississippi. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's an important year to, to do that. I think Joe Moorhead has, you know, it's, it's, he's got a staff that is not, doesn't have the same ties in the state. He's trying to hire a couple guys that do, which has helped, Mark Hudspeth and Marcus Johnson, guys like that. Um, but uh, to me, probably they've got enough of a foothold from the success this year. I think they'll be really good next year. And that's probably going to be enough for them to capitalize in what is maybe the best class in the state of Mississippi that I've seen. And, and that includes a year that had, you know, the Jeffrey Simmons year and, and um, you know, even the, you know, the Chris Jones year. I mean, there've been some pretty good classes that have cycled up here and there lately in that state. 2019 is unbelievable in Mississippi. So I think it's an important year for Joe Moorhead to get going quickly on the road, getting those contacts in place, winning on the field so he can capitalize next December. Uh, and I think he'll be able to do that. And I think probably Matt Luke can, can scrape together enough guys on his end to, to continue to get them building a uh, foundation as well. So, um, you know, w- with all that said, and you look at the hires and you look at the way the states are cycling from a talent perspective, um, the SEC is in a real position to, to really – cycle up um, because I do think from a recruiting standpoint, uh, it's hard to really, I mean, I, again, I think Joe Moorhead is the one that you can kind of dig into and say there's some flaws in that from a recruiting standpoint higher, but I have so much faith in Moorhead as a coach 
and he inherited such a strong situation and the state is in such a good place right now from a talent perspective that I think it makes up for all that. And he'll be able to have the time and the runway needed. And so now you look at the SEC across the board, with Jimbo Fisher recruiting there and, and, and you know, Alabama and, and Auburn and just sort of your, your typical powers, uh, plus just sort of the, the positive development that, like, I think, our, again, I think Arkansas got the guy they needed, the guy with East Texas strong roots, uh, Matt Luke. Mississippi guy, going to recruit well there. Uh, you know, just if, when you sort of check off the boxes, everybody is going to start really, I think, improving their standing from a recruiting standpoint in that conference. And, um, you know, not that that conference needs much help, but it's, it's, I think it's going to continue to sort of get better and cycle back up with, the, with these uh, most recent hires. Okay, uh, thanks again, Barton. It was really great stuff. Of course, you're once again the national writer for CBS Sports, director of scouting of 247 Sports. Um, I, I really appreciate you hopping on and just talking some SEC recruiting with us. Yeah, no, you got it. I appreciate you having me on. and um, Yeah, let's uh, see what happens in January. It should be interesting. All right, once again, I want to thank Barton Simmons for jumping on the podcast. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter, at Barton Simmons. Yeah, that was a really good conversation. A lot of interesting topics there. I think more than anything, I'll just be really interested to see what happens in Athens with the quarterback position. I think that's going to be a storyline that we're going to be talking about all summer if Justin Fields lives up to the hype, which basically everyone's saying that he will. Uh, you know, a lot of things can change in the recruiting world between now and February, but it certainly looks like Georgia's going to maintain that number one ranking, not only in the SEC, but in, in terms of national ranking. So, so obviously they're the top dogs this year in the recruiting cycle. And based on what I've seen for 2019, they're the early leaders for the top spot. So uh, not expecting this to be anything of a, you know, one to two year run. It looks like Kirby Smart's really building something special in Athens. And, uh, you know, it remains to be seen uh, if the rest of the SEC East uh, can catch back up to the dogs. And we'll close the Recruiting Down South podcast on that thought. Michael Bratton here with my typical send-off. No matter how bad you want to, don't tweet recruits.